Take your Bible, if you would, Psalm 23. Uh, Probably you don't even need your Bible to even consider the content of this particular psalm. A psalm which has been hallowed as one of the most uh, poetic, beautiful uh, uh, poems in the Bible often uh, is used in many different occasions, one of which uh, often gets used at, at funerals, talking about, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we will fear no evil. But the psalm itself has a, a much wider range of application for us when we think about what David was trying to accomplish through the psalm itself. He is, he is pulling on all kinds of Old Testament metaphors and imagery. If you were a Jew, uh, I'll tell you what, you, as you were walking along those, those long, dusty roads from, from town to town over the hills, I'll tell you what, you are likely going to pass some little shepherd boy and a flock trying to figure out where they are going to get these sheep fed. It was so commonplace in the life of Israel that the metaphor... Uh, became used by God to say, uh, as God himself saying, I am your shepherd. I am the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. So such a beautiful component. I remember uh, while I was pastoring in Minnesota uh, in a very small rural community, one of my uh, older deacons, which uh, I, just, I just love this man. He's still uh, alive at close to 80 some years old, but he had a flock of sheep. And uh, on much occasions where we would have fellowships out at his farm, uh, the kids just loved running into the barn, seeing all these little baby newly born sheep. And you would see them. They were scattered out all over the field. He would walk over the fence, and in a way that no one else could, he would make a sound and call their voice, and all of a sudden, as one group, they in mass heard, they would come into that barn. It was amazing. This is the picture of people who serve and believe in the living God, that when they hear the voice of their God, they not only as individuals but as one flock gather to Him and they await His sustenance. They await the feeding of their soul. That is the picture that Psalm 23 gives uh, in in our life a picture of care, of protection, provision, compassion, and guidance. We think about this when it comes to the metaphors that are often used, and the psalmist uses this when it comes to uh, displaying this in the life of Israel. He said this in Psalm 95. Uh, He says, Oh, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Believer, I I don't know about you, but when you begin to start thinking about what you and I get to experience as being part of the family or the flock of God, does it not just bring a little bit of your heart at ease? Does it not... Take the tension down from thinking that you have to accomplish everything, that you have to be so confident in yourself and all of your abilities and all of the things that that you would love to see happen. And it just takes the temperature down to go, ah, I can rest in Him. 
See, the psalmist went through all kinds of things as David would experience as the king of Israel, running, experiencing joy, running from, uh, then he's running from Saul, uh, death of children, vying for, for who would take over uh, his responsibility. But one thing he would never give up, it was his security and his confidence and his, and his peace in the God who was the shepherd of Israel. Believers, yes, I know we are not ethnically Jewish unless you are here and you have ethnicity where you are of Jewish descent. But for most of us, we have been brought in, as John 10 says, that there were sheep who were not of his fold, who he was going to bring in as one flock under one shepherd in one group of protection. Look around. He did it. It's here. The great shepherd of Israel sent his only son because there were sheep that were not of his fold of the ethnicity of the Jewish descent and he grafted us in so that we could experience the same thing that David would experience in this psalm uh, as he continued that. But do you notice in your soul that there is this difficulty in a sense of resting in the Lord? You feel it whether you walk through a week and your, and your work week didn't go so well or you didn't get some level of promotion or, or you just don't seem to have enough in your 401k or whatever it happens to be. I came across this uh, Psalm 23 rendition of the secure man's 23rd Psalm. Here's what he says. He says, I am my provider. I shall not be in want. I have stored up hay if the grass is not green in the valley. I have a big canteen just in case the waters are dried up. I have a map so I can find the right path. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear. I have a living will. My funeral paid for and a healthy life insurance policy to care for my family. I will fear no evil because I have theft alarms on my car and, and, and home and the police will be there in minutes. My accountant and my broker, they comfort me. I have prepared an investment portfolio that will put food on the table for years to come, even if my competitors should go belly up. I have been anointed with ability and good planning. Surely income and dividends will follow me every month without fail. And I will dwell in my home, not a nursing home, all the days of my life. You know, the reality is we can laugh and we can, we can think, oh, who would think like that? <laughs> Sometimes me. Sometimes thinking that a level of security and comfort and peace and provision and guidance comes somewhere outside the comfort of the living God, where it somehow comes from having the, the physical ability to get up and work and go make a paycheck or having the mental capacities to go to school and get a degree and make it better for yourself. And we forget that the soul was designed to rest in the good shepherd who would shepherd your soul in such a way that you would be a person and I would be a person who would rest in him and not in the things that we tend to find for security in our world. As we walk through this text together, I want us to think about this particular uh, idea that comes out of this text, that the more God's people embrace the Lord as the good shepherd, the more they will experience the peace that comes from being part of his flock. Believer, you 
And I have such a privilege of being inside the fold. A place where no, no thing can happen to us outside of the very will of God. If we embrace this, I'll tell you what, our confidence in him, our security in him, our peace in him, will continue to move in a way that pleases God. And so this morning I want to talk about three experiences God's people can have as being part of the Good Shepherd's flock this morning. Notice right off the bat, David uh, talks about this in the psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, lest we go too quickly in the psalm, because it's such a familiar psalm to us, to, to not just speedily move past this reality that for the, for the Jewish individual, when the word Lord is used in the Old Testament language, this was the name of the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. Every time you read in your English translations and, and you see the capital letter for L in Lord, you are looking at Yahweh in the, in the Hebrew language. That was so different in the sense, in the contrast of Elohim, who would then be the creator God who does things out of nothing. But Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the good shepherd of Israel, would walk by his people. There was no other people, by the way, in the ancient Near Eastern world who had a God like this. A God who would actually codify the law and the principles in which he would want to live by. All of their gods in the ancient Near Eastern world were just men blown big. That's all they were. And then they were idolized through statues and all kinds of different ways. But this God was totally different. He was a God who was holy. A God who was just. A God who would speak to his people. And they could, they could remember. Now keep in, keep in mind, the Old Testament imagery of the shepherd, uh, of God being the shepherd of Israel was, was so genius of David because he knew what it would recall for the average Jewish mind. You know what, would, what it would recall? Wilderness wanderings. It was those people, those millions of people who had come out of Egypt and didn't enter the promised land and there they are wandering all over the place like sheep. And he says, this shepherd is going to do something for this group of sheep. And he says, this is my Lord. This is my covenant-keeping God. Now notice, he says, he's not just the shepherd of Israel. He's mine. He's my God. He's my shepherd. He's my sustainer, my provider. The one who leads, the one who guides, the one who protects me. And it is for me. You realize so often we come to church on so many different occasions and we're thinking about other people who need the word more than we need it ourselves. We think about another person who's struggling or we think about somebody who's not doing it right or falling into sin or going and backsliding in different ways. This shepherd wants your heart, believers. This morning he is concerned about, about all of the flock, but he is also concerned about every individual soul and whether their heart is being drawn to the voice of the shepherd. Let me just ask you, how obedient are you when you hear the voice of the shepherd through the pages of the scripture? It's easy to hear a sermon 
resonate with the reality that you ought to follow this. But when the rubber meets the road, the real big question is, just because you know what you know doesn't doesn't mean that you're doing what you're supposed to. David recognized that. When he, would, when he would call out because his soul would, would say, my soul is not in want. He is my shepherd and I need to make sure my soul is resting in the living God. Because the moment the king of Israel would not have his soul rest in the living God, what would happen to the kingdom that he was supposed to be a representative of this living God? I think it's so fascinating in the Old Testament of all the history of, of something that a king would have to do Every king would have to write his own copy of the law. I don't know about any of you, but I've never sat down and tried to uh, write down meticulously the first five books of the Bible. But you can imagine that depiction, that description, or that occupation that was held by the king was a constant reminder for him to say, no, he's my shepherd. No, he's my shepherd. He's the one who's leading. I'm just one who's an under-shepherd. David says that the Lord was his shepherd. And believers, Christians this morning, do you listen to his voice? Is he yours? What if you're here this morning and you know what? You're not a believer. Can I just speak to you for a moment and tell you, not being part of the family of the flock of God is such a dangerous outcome for the eternal destiny of your soul. He will come at some moment and he will separate those who are sheep of his flock with people who are not of this flock or don't belong in the fold. Oh, and that will be a day, let me tell you. There will be weeping beyond measure. People for eternal destiny who will stay chained to the pain and suffering of separation from the Good Shepherd. You have a chance today by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the words of the scripture of the sovereign God to be part of the flock. I'm going to come back to this at the end because this is so critically important. But if you're, you're, you have never made that decision to repent of your sin, to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I just beg you this morning to consider Here's the experiences that, that, we, that we will find. Even as we go to the good shepherd and he, he, he flourishes and helps us. But notice as, as he extends the metaphor for the Jewish people in Ezekiel 34. Now just let me set a context. Ezekiel's talking to those who should have been shepherding well in, in Ezekiel 34. And he comes to them and he says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravens and in all the inhabited places of the country. Notice this in 14 and 15. I will feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Now here's our verse 15. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Wow, I'll tell you what, when you read passages like that, you can't help but thinking to your soul, just come now. Be our present shepherd now. All the injustices, all the the tyranny, all the, the, the horrifying death and destruction and murder. Don't you long for a shepherd who even, by the way, if you're here as a believer and you have strayed from his ways, oh, believer, he will find you if you are genuine. He will find you and he will, he will delicately bring you back to the fold. And he will show you that your ways were not worth it, but that there's comfort and mercy in the hands of a living God. In this particular metaphor, he tries to extend this reality for the, for the Christian. Here's what you and I can experience if we follow the good shepherd. Experience number one, contentment. Don't you find it quite challenging in a culture that is so filled with everything you want, when you want, how you want it, how to get it, that contentment is kind of difficult? Like, you could legitimately have most anything that your hearts desire in the world that we live in. If you don't have the money, you just get a couple credit cards and boom, you got it. You just pay it off later. But in a real way, you could have all of the earthly possessions and enjoyments that your heart could wickedly want. But contentment is different. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, and here's what it produced. Here's what I experience when, I'm, when I see him as the good shepherd. I am content. Believer, are you? Are you content with your place in life? Are you content with the, with the job that you have, the place that you are, the home that you built, the car that you drive, the degree that you earned, the husband or wife that you have? I hope you're content there. The children that you bore, sometimes. Are you content? See, the idea of the, of the, of the psalmist is simply to say, this is the, the, the translation in Hebrew with this, I lack nothing. Believers, we don't, there's nothing that we lack. Nothing. And yet so often every day, and in different ways, this ingenious world that we, have, uh, that we live in, cursed by sin, you watch a program and you have to get by commercial after commercial after commercial. Because what do they want to appeal? To your wicked fleshly heart. You know, you'd be better if you had this kind of car. You'd be better if you owned this kind of phone. You'd be better if you had this particular clothes. And it eats away at being content under the good shepherd of our soul. But believers, if we understand this correctly, we understand that we are not a people who will be in want. David was not in want of anything. He said, my soul is content. That's his idea. 
He said, I shall not want. But desires are tricky, aren't they? I, I, I probably imagine in a crowd this size, in a congregation this big, that if we had to take a poll, which we won't, that we probably have a level of wicked, sinful desires that were welling, welling up in the heart of your own life even last week. Did you see it in your own life? Things you wanted so bad that you were willing to forego getting closer to the good shepherd. I don't have time for devotions. I don't have time to go meet with this. I don't have time to go to community group. I don't have time to be with God's people. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in want and our desires, which are wicked. Now, if you, you, you look at our culture, here's the thing is we struggle with this. You'll hear people say these words, and maybe you've said them, but I need that. Well, how many times my kids have said to me, but dad, I need that. I'm like, I'm not quite sure that has reached the level of need. If you asked a person in the desert, what would they say? I need water for some level of physical sustenance. If you asked a congregation like this, what do you need? You would probably all say in your mind right now, well, Jesus. And you'd be right. But if you ask somebody who's sitting there and struggling And they're wrestling with this in their soul. They often struggle thinking to themselves, I need a lot of things. I need a good marriage. I need a good friend. I need a good family. I need obedient children. I need a home. I need a nice home. I need a good job. You know what? I need not to be single. That would be nice. I need to have children I don't want to have conflict anymore. That's what I need. I'm sick and tired of fighting all the time. I want, or I need restoration to the brokenness of the relationships. Or, or this, I've heard in so many different occasions. I just need, I don't need to be depressed anymore. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to mess up another relationship I don't want to have to wrestle with managing my emotions when all of the things are going awry in my life. I just want to overcome this fear. I don't want to get angry anymore. I just don't need these past memories of what somebody had wickedly done to me. They haunt me in my mind. I need to finish school. I need to get into the right college, get the good grades, find the right internship, be, the, uh, be on a championship team, or make the team. We want so many things all of a sudden that we generally believe that rise to a level of need to some degree that we give our life's effort for it. Could you imagine giving your entire life's energy and effort only to come and stand before the good shepherd and, and, and he look you in the eye and say, you really didn't need all that. <laughs> you have been gathering into your barns. You've been collecting for yourself all of these things and you didn't need any of those things. You needed me and I'm the one thing that seems to be always dropped first. Oh, believer, please get to the point in your life where you wrestle with that the Lord is your shepherd, that you do not have want of anything. 
A soul that is, is contented in the Lord is a happy soul. Is one that only looks for it in a ways that God can only supply. Now notice how he does this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Don't skip by this too quickly that you don't recognize this in the language. Who's doing the action? He is. He does it for you. He does it for me. He does it for our children, and he will do it for our children's children. He'll do it for the church that exists long after perhaps we may all be dead and gone. He will lead his people as sheep in his pasture. But he does it. The Hebrew language even gives way in the verbiage to describe. He causes this to take place. Which is why they, ought, they will translate that he's making me do this. It almost like gives you the, the, the picture of a parent with a child who's like, I know what you need, but they're, they're coming kicking and screaming. Like, I know what you need. Like, stop this. The greener grass is over here. It's better over here. You know, we are often like that, aren't we? We're like that stubborn sheep who likes to wander off and find his own grass to graze and be left alone. And then, here's what happens. We convince ourselves that we are better making our own flock, hoping that a few stray sheep will join us. When it's better, stronger, more effective when you are part of the whole. As a sheep, don't stray from his ways, but if you do, and if you have... Can I just say to you, no matter what sin that you have committed, no matter how long you have been committing it, this shepherd wants to shepherd your soul and welcome you back into his arms through repentance, through trust, through, forgive, through forgiveness. He will lead you back to the green pastures. He will lead you beside the still waters. Don't you love the imagery of this? This just makes you want to take a nap. Don't do it now. That's Sunday afternoon. After the meal. You want to go there. He leads you beside the still waters where your soul finds rest. And when you're there and you're basking in the presence and protection and conveniences of the good shepherd, do you know what he's doing? He's restoring your soul. He's making your heart better, more pleasing, more satisfied that you are there with him. He restores it, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love this. He leads me into moral uprightness. That's what he's saying. He will never lead you to a place where you have to question, I don't know if this is right or wrong. He's always leading you to what is morally right. You never have to sit in front of a computer screen and go, I wonder if I should look at that or not. God didn't lead you there. You led you there. You don't have to go and say, oh, but I'm, 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 I'm going to go out to eat with this particular person at work of the opposite gender and say, uh, that's you leading you there. That's not God leading you there. If we don't keep our desires in check, we begin to start to believe that, that what we want is what we need. And we are so foolish at times to go after what we think and making a want a need. If we do this, the good shepherd will bring us to the green pastures. He will lead us beside the still waters and restore our soul. But why will he do it? 
He's not going to do it because he doesn't do it for this reason, by the way. He doesn't do it primarily just so you go, do you feel that? That feels good, doesn't it? He is not motivated just to fulfill your own personal wants or your own personal comforts or even physical levels of pain. He leads you to this area for one reason and one reason alone. You know what it is? To bring glory to himself. That's it. But when we bring, and he brings us to that good pasture, and he brings glory to himself, the byproduct of being there with him is a benefit and a blessing to me where I find contentment in my soul. And I see what he's done, and I'm left by, with saying this, oh, God, you are good. Oh, God, you have restored my soul. But you know what? Even for the Christian, oftentimes we can be in a level of barren spiritual wasteland where we're not in the Word of God, we're not with the people of God, we're not resting in the Good Shepherd, and it will only lever, lead you away with a soul that is discomforted, that is filled with fear. But if you come back to him, he'll do it for his namesake. I love it. He does this all throughout the Old Testament. I will do it so they see me. If you want this for any other reason, you're going to want it for the wrong reason. David wanted it because this, he knew this is where his soul would find rest. Here's the second thing you'll experience, not just contentment but you'll find security in him. Oh, there's something special about being part and, and having that shepherd open that, that gate to that fold and having him think in our minds to say, you're welcome in here. And you come in and he shuts the door behind you and he stands at the gate. And that's what the scriptures say. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will open the door. And they can come in. And they can be part of this. That is for you, person here who have never repented and trusted Jesus Christ. That door will remain shut. But can I tell you this? Here's what will open that door. When you recognize what Romans 3.23 says, that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you fall on your face before the living God and the good shepherd, and you say, there is no other way that I could be saved unless I trust in the work of, the, of your Son, Jesus Christ, who will give me righteousness that I don't possess. Oh God, forgive me of my sin. Let me spend the, le- the rest of my life demonstrating allegiance to you. When you repent and you ask for forgiveness, guess what? Click, that door opens, and you can go in to the pasture where you will find rest for your soul. Security is such an important element, and you think about it in our world today, and, uh, and at large, so many of us wrestle with being secure. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now notice this. Now, the the translation here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, you may say, well, I can understand why this is often used at at various funeral times in people's lives. 
And it's certainly part of the translation. He would say things, uh, as, as, we were trans- as, as if one would translate this in the Hebrew, it would say something like this, even though I walk through the valley of deep, dark shadows, I will fear no evil. And you go through the Old Testament and you think, well, where, where are all these deep, dark shadows and where do they reside? Well, this term shows itself. It is the strongest Hebrew term that you could use in the Old Testament language to say this is the darkest of dark places. That's what he's trying to get at. That's why most people translate it, the shadow of death. You don't get much darker than death. But it's far beyond just that. He's using this metaphorically to say, when we find ourselves in a place of such deep and utter darkness that we cannot see the light, we don't have to be fearful. This is the darkness, by the way, that Job 16, verse 16 talks about when he says, where it describes the darkness of the eyelids that are tired from weeping day after day after day. Oh, I remember being at the first unseen in a room uh, in a hospital of a loved one who had just passed away in the room. Coming in as chaplain only to see this loved one with the body of, 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 their, of their spouse and saying, and just watching them weep and wail uncontrollably. There's nothing I could say even as chaplain, you think, what are you going to, what at that moment, what are you going to do? <laughs> you feel so helpless. You feel like, what am I doing here? I feel like I'm out of place in a room I shouldn't be at at some moment. And yet to go walk over to the struggling individual in the darkness of their life at a moment when darkness seems to have descended upon them and just rest your hand on their shoulder and just weep with them. That is the God that we have. He is the God through the scriptures who comes and he puts his arm around us in the deepest, darkest places. That just doesn't only happen at death, by the way. I've watched plenty of believers through the course of my life go into places of the valley of darkness. They've been depressed for years, decades, sometimes multiple decades not to see the light of the gospel and the good news of the good shepherd. This darkness can descend easily, but it also is described in the Old Testament as a, as a dark mine shaft, or as in Job 10 or 38, where it says the darkness of the abode of the dead. Or, it, or of Amos chapter 5, verse 8, where it says the darkness uh, that pervaded the earth prior to creation. He said, when it gets this dark, guess who's with you? The good shepherd. And because he's with me, here's what I can, I can experience. I will fear no evil because your presence is with me, even in the darkness. Now, I, I am not so foolish uh, to, to not understand that there are people in our presence right now who you met this morning, who you've talked to, who smiled at you, who said, hey, my week was great, but in the depth of their soul, they are in despair. But they have yet to get the courage to talk with another believer. If that's you, 
Oh, don't stay in this barren darkness forever. This is what the the body of Christ is about. This isn't go to Pastor Josh because he's got the skill set. No, 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 no. Go to the people that God has put right closest to you. Share with them the darkness that continues to, to, to plague your own soul. Where they will lead you to the scripture. You have believers. The tool right in your hand. First, bring them to the scriptures before you guide them to the pastor. Because it it is you that can help them. It is us together as a collective community in the flock together who will surround them and direct them to recognize their presence in the Lord. You can do that. There are hurting people among us. My heart and my mind can only think of Carol Hawkins when we think about this passage this morning. Those in that community group have continued to surround them with a, with a, with a care and compassion and love. When I got the word that Jerry had passed away uh, and hearing Carol just anchor her soul to the Lord, recognizing how hard it was going to be to hear her voice on the phone, to know that every Tuesday when I get the life group as a special privilege, they're walking by my door to their Bible study. After it's over, Jerry would come and pop into my office and he would give a word of encouragement or tell me something that's going on and he would just have a smile on his face and then he would say, oh, my back hurts, (laughs) but I'm getting through it. He had a relationship with the living God. He is in the presence of the good shepherd. For you and I as a body, there is nothing more special than to understand that people who will go on before us are there waiting for us to be with them. Carol, as she perhaps would go back and listen to this, can I just say that the good shepherd will guide you through this most challenging valley of darkness. But he will be with you. He will guide you. There will be times where of fear and anxiety. There will be times of distress. But there will never be a time in which he will not be with you in the presence of the darkness. Believers, we have a serious responsibility often to people who, who experience death in their family to surround them with comfort and compassion, with a phone call, with a text message, with an email, with something with, 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 where you can get in contact with the same, with, to say to them, we love you. Please do that. That's the value of the body of Christ. We weep together. But to hear Carol's words to me on the phone the other day, to say, I can't imagine what he's experiencing right now. I am so happy for him. And aren't we happy for him? Oh my goodness. If we didn't have the hope that Jerry had, then we are all going to be destitute to a level of darkness. But the hope shines bright in the scriptures for us to say he will be with us. What that means is we'll experience this peace in our soul. And this is where he leads us. And he switches metaphors, by the way. He doesn't carry the whole shepherding metaphor through the entirety of the psalm. 
he switches now to a different beautiful metaphor, that of a banquet host. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. We can expect that, here's what we, we get to experience. This banquet host, Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, will welcome you around his table. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, by the way, this is so powerful because once you end up residing in the tent of the person that you're visiting, guess whose protection you're under? Theirs. Now, you can rest easy because they're mandated in the culture to protect you. This is exactly what's going on, by the way, with the, with the angelic beings in Sodom and Gomorrah when Lot welcomes them into his house. His protection of those beings, those angelic persons who came to him, was that he would even give his own daughters before he was going to allow the, these men to be put at risk. I remember we were taking a trip to Israel, and one of our, uh, our guides who was uh, who was an Arab individual, said this is so common in the Bedouin culture, but they recognize a level of, of how this works. If you get invited into the tent as they're living out there, uh, they'll often bring you a full cup of coffee. But they start bringing you different levels of coffee when they want you to leave. So if you start getting a half a cup or less, it's like, I think it's time for you to go. But if they keep bringing you the full cup, you know you're welcome to stay. The imagery of the banquet host is this. He's always constantly filling your cup so that you recognize you are welcome here. Keep coming. Keep finding the food for your soul. You sit around the the, the table, not like you should be there, but because you're allowed to be there the work of someone else. And at this table, perhaps as David thought about this in the presence of his own enemies of a king, that he could sit in the presence of God and in the presence of his enemies simultaneously and find peace for his soul. You anoint my head with oil. This is, this is the welcoming aspect of the ancient Near Eastern culture. Remember when Jesus went into the house of Simon and he says, and, and the woman comes and anoints his feet with oil. And remember what he said to, to Simon? Simon, I came in the door. You didn't even anoint me with oil. You didn't even do the thing that was so commonplace in our culture to welcome me into your household. And now you get this picture of the good shepherd or, or the banquet host now, the God of heaven going, the door is open for you. Wait a minute before you rush by to the food. Get back here. Let me anoint you with some oil. You are welcome here. And this is a sign of the welcoming. And he says, oh, when I get there, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when we get a chance to be in the presence of the living God, I'll tell you, there's something that's going to happen when you sit around the banquet host of this, uh, around the table of this banquet host. And guess what? It's like he's filling your cup, but it's not, it's just, he's filling it with goodness. He will never bring you something at the table that you go, take that away. Ugh. Never bring that again. 
What he's bringing to you is goodness and mercy, and they will follow you all the days of your life. I don't know if you've ever been followed by or felt like you were followed by something, followed by someone, or some people will even say to me, you know what? It's really been a long time since something bad has happened. They kind of keep looking behind them going, I think bad things are following me. Good things have been happening. Bad things are coming. You know what? Here's what will happen. You're walking. Who's following me? Oh, it's goodness and mercy again. You keep coming, guys. Let's go. You will never not have them follow you the entirety of the days of your life. He doesn't say, and darkness and deep destruction will follow you. He says, goodness and mercy. Now let's come back to this just for a moment. For you who are here who are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the one who says, I am the good Shepherd, mercy is available for you. The mercy is available not, to, for, not for you in, in the gospel of your own choosing. It's not Jesus plus, and then you fill in the blank. It's Jesus alone, through the scriptures alone, by faith alone. And if you believe that and you repent of your sin, guess what? You will be welcomed to the banquet table. You will be welcomed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You will sit around his table and somebody will say, what are you doing here? I got mercy, just like you did. There are going to be people around that table that I think that you probably are going to be shocked that are there because the mercy of God was willing to extend through the, through the works of the good shepherd you can experience that peace. As we give an opportunity, if you are here and you have never done that, to respond in the quietness of your own soul as we finish out this message, can I just encourage you? Stop, pray, repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Good Shepherd. And then you know what? Come find me because I want to rejoice with you. Because there is no greater rejoicing, Jesus says, that when the good shepherd goes out and finds the one in the flock and he brings them into the fold, he says there will be no greater rejoicing in heaven than the one who finds the good shepherd. Jesus says this in John 10, at the time of the feast of the dedication at the place of Jerusalem in the winter, it says Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon And the Jews gathered around him and he said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and he said, I told you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my, my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You know, if you're here this morning, can I just tell you, if you're just like, but I don't know, I don't know what assurance that I have if I'm really a believer, and I've just struggled all these long years. When you become a sheep in the good shepherd's flock, 
You don't sustain you. He sustains you. Which means when he sustains you, you never have to worry about, about being turned loose and led away out of this flock again. You can have the assurance that all that the Father has put into his hand, no one will be taken out of it. For us here, I would hope that we recognize that as we are, as Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Believers, he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows your pain. He knows your sin. He's come to rescue us through the, through the work of his son so that you, can, you and I could have the privilege of being welcomed into this flock. You know what? It's a huge duty as, as we go out and a huge responsibility but a great joy to share this with unbelievers who are around us. Oh, and lo- it should be gone out of your mind to say this, Christian. Oh, but everyone I know is a believer. Oh, get to know some unbelievers, please. Go out of your way to draw people to the Good Shepherd. If you're there as a believer, don't just think you have to be in darkness alone. You can come and find rest for your soul in Him and with, with, as being part of this flock. As we close, I want us to think about this. Believers must trust their Lord and Savior. You may not always get what you want, but I guarantee you will always have what you need. And as you think about the, the Psalm 23, it goes far beyond all of these things in our life to say, our God is with us. Our God, His presence is here with us. Glorify Him through all the things that you do and say. Experience the comfort, the contentment, the security, the peace that you so long for. You can have it, but it's in Him. Do it His way. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank You so much for Your kindness to us that You would give us such a beautiful a poem written by your servant David, a man after your own heart, or that challenges us to live in a way that is pleasing to the good shepherd. Lord, we cannot wait to sit around that banquet table knowing that your mercy is what brought us there, your kindness drew us, and that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and that we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever.